We want to read scripture. I want to empower you to grow in the grace of God simply through the activity of reading scripture. Reading scripture is an incredibly powerful endeavor. And so that's my primary objective is, is to see you just say that you've read through the entire Bible. Just, you know, I've read through the entire Bible. Um, we just got started. Uh, we just got started. Um, so, so. You know, I mean, there's a lot that I could say, but one thing I will say is just simply committing yourself. Just that, that simple commitment of 20 to 30 minutes a day can get you through a lot of scripture. Um, we've gone through the entire New Testament, guys. We've gone through the entire New Testament, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. Uh, we've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now we're reading through Deuteronomy. And what I prayerfully hope is that as you guys are reading this, that you guys are also, that your perspective of the scripture is changing and you're beginning to see things a little bit differently, um, that it, 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 it renews you and it nourishes you and that it encourages you because often we have, we're, the Bible can be very intimidating simply because of the way that it's presented to you. So hopefully I can present it to you in a way where you go, wow, no one said it that way, or I didn't even understand it that way. And I'm grateful for that. So I just want to encourage you guys to continue to journey with us through the reading of the scripture. Um, I've been prefacing over the past few days, and I'm going to preface today as well with um, some things to help give you a perspective before we read. Um, I want to make sure you're reading from the right posture because what's being shared in the next few chapters is incredibly powerful. Um, it's incredibly uh, um, illuminating if we would allow the Lord to speak through it. And often here's what happens is that for many of us, when we read through the scripture, okay, this is the unfortunate reality is when we read through the scripture, we read often inserting ourselves in places that we ought not to insert ourselves, particularly speaking in the Mosaic law. When we're reading through the Pentateuch, that is when we're reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Thank you so much for the gift. Uh, when we read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, many people read it, inserting themselves into it, presuming that the Bible is speaking specifically or that portion of scripture is speaking specifically to them, particularly to them. It's not speaking particularly to you. The book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was a law written to the children of Israel, to ancient Israel. But Christians often go and they insert themselves in this text. And because they insert themselves in the text, they actually miss on the message that God is revealing through the scripture. Is anybody understanding that? So I want you as you're reading to make sure you posture yourself appropriately because th this letter was not written directly to you. And if you're going to read it right, you got to back away from it. When he speaks, the words you, and this is, he's not talking to you, he's talking to them, okay? He's talking to them, and in his engagement and his interaction with the children of Israel, he's revealing something to us. Um, the law was not written to you, okay? It was not written to you. It was never written to you. You were never under the law. Even when Paul says we are not under the law, but we're under grace, he wasn't even talking to the Gentiles. He was talking to the Hebrews. He was talking to the Jews because it was the Jews that were under the law, not anyone else. No one else is under the law. 
Okay. The law was intended, if you guys remember, and we've been, I've been ranting about this over the past few, few weeks, and I'm going to continue to rant it. So that way you guys get into the right posture of how you read the scripture or else you're going to lose what the Bible is really trying to reveal to you and what the scripture is, is, is actually communicating to us. Okay. This is important guys, that the law, when you see the law written to the children of Israel and not to us. Okay. The, okay, let me back that up for a second. Remember, we've been seeing through this through this narrative. We see God. We see a story. Okay, we see a story of God restoring humanity. Mankind sinned, and as a result of mankind's sin, okay, being represented by Adam. Adam Adam disobeyed God, and sin came into the world. Man was given dominion over the earth the word dominion there is rule meaning man was called to be ambassadors on the earth meaning we were called to fulfill god's agenda on the earth god was all about establishing his kingdom the way he wanted to rule his creation and so he breathes his spirit into man man becomes his imager and he's given dominion over the earth. And so in giving dominion over the earth, he was called to rule according to God's sovereignty. Of course, man disobeys God. The moment man disobeys God, he's essentially committed treason. That's what happened. And so so, so mankind committing treason came with its own consequences. And those consequences came with it came death, came pestilence, disease, everything that you, everything that you see that has brought pain and suffering came from mankind's disobedience. Now, I want to make sure you understand this because we missed the narrative here. If man is made in the image of God and man failed to fulfill it, what God was doing is, is God was in the business of restoring his rule on earth. That's really what the scriptures are about. God is re is establishing his kingdom on earth. God, Yahweh, is establishing his rule on earth. Watch this now. In establishing his rule on earth, it requires him to restore mankind. Okay? I know I'm doing a lot of prefacing here, but I want to make sure we read this right. In establishing his rule on earth, God has to restore mankind because he gave mankind dominion. So God, because he is subject to his word. No, we're about to read the passage. We're not there yet. We're in Deuteronomy 23. So God is in the business of restoring mankind to maintain his rule, to, to establish his rule on earth. God was about his kingdom. Y'all caught that. So if God was about establishing his kingdom, then he's about restoring mankind. Now, how does God restore mankind? He restores mankind through this family. And when does he start this? He initiates this and he instigates this with um, with, uh, with Abraham. So with Abraham now, he says he's calling Abraham to be the father of many nations. Okay. The father of many nations to bring restoration to all humanity. So therefore now through Abraham's bloodline, through Abraham's seed will come the restoration of all humanity the restoration of all mankind. Are you catching that? Okay. So therefore now through these people, God's restoring. So the, so the, 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 the Bible is about God restoring his rule 
through a people. And what we're giving the opportunity to do is to see the narrative of how God does this and accomplishes this. And in the end, it's fulfilled in Christ and through Christ. So, so the fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ and Jesus through him. Now all mankind is restored and in him. Now we find uh, restoration on earth as it is in heaven. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because we find often that we insert ourselves into the text in a way that we ought not to, because this text is not written to you, but it is written for you so that you can understand what's happening. So we're seeing the story now from Abraham, that's Genesis, to Isaac, to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who now has 12 sons. That's where Genesis ends. The 12 sons become a nation of people who now leaving Egypt, make a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. They make the covenant with God at Mount Sinai. And in that covenant that they make at Mount Sinai, God now, notice this now, God now reestablishes his promise through Abraham. And in the promise that he's establishing now through this nation of people, that is the seed of Abraham, the bloodline of Abraham, God is establishing all things. Now, you, you guys understanding this? Okay. Why is this important? This is important because for many of us, <laughs> for many of us, we make this about us when it was never about us. This law was not intended for heaven or hell. So often Christians will read the Old Testament as if they're rules that they ought to follow. This is not rules you ought to follow, but rather a story of what God is doing, separating these people and setting them aside to establish his kingdom on earth. They were the chosen people of God. So the law was never for you. The law was never intended to you. Okay. Um, X, Y. So Y, Y, X, Y dot org. That's interesting. Um, um, I'd like for you to hear what I have to say. And if you can't listen and you can't hear what I have to say, then I would, um, I'm going to have to block you. Okay. Um, you're here to, to rabble rouse and we're, we're just not going to tolerate that. Um, the, the one thing that the enemy does family, before I even get started with the word. So you understand that the one thing that the enemy does is the enemy distracts. Why does the enemy distract? The enemy distracts because the enemy has no power. Uh, the devil has no power. Satan has no power. And so because Satan has no power, what he does is he distracts. Did you hear me? I'm about to mute uh, 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 YYXY because, and I want you to stay and listen because what you need to do is actually listen. But the enemy likes to distract. So if, just, just a little lesson for all of you here who are here and who are watching this. I want you to see how the devil works. Okay, this is how the devil works in your life. This is how the devil operates in your life. What he does is he distracts you from the truth. The devil actually never has to lie to you, even if he is the father of lies. All he has to do is distract you from the truth. Okay. So the reason why I find it funny is because the devil has already been defeated. Satan has already been defeated. Does anybody understand that? He's already been defeated. So because he's already been defeated, I had to mute, I had to mute YYXY. Because the one thing that we don't, we, we need to be, we, we need to acknowledge and to be aware of, okay, is because this is a person, they're calling themselves a Satanist. Actually, I can see and discern in the spirit. You actually do not even know what you're talking about. You're under the influence of Satan, but you don't even understand who Satan is. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> you don't even know who Satan is. You're actually simply under the influence of the enemy. So you have no power as well. And you're under the authority of one who has no power. Um, okay. So anyway, um, that's all to say, guys, as you read through the Bible, okay, as you're reading through the scripture, please understand that this, especially in this part of the scripture, when you read the word and you read the scripture, don't insert yourself. I want you to back away for a second because we're about to read this now. I want you to back away for a second. And what I want you to ask, I want you to ask, what is God revealing concerning himself as he interacts with these chosen people of God? Okay. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning you? So let's pray and let's get started. Father, we ask, Lord, in this moment that you would speak to us today. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would um, reveal your truth to us. Lord, we pray that you would guide us and lead us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would breathe through this time. Lord, that your spirit would breathe through this time and this moment. Father, we come against distraction. Uh, We come against, Lord, the ruse of the enemy. We come against the lie of the enemy. Lord, we already know that sin has been defeated. We know that you have already paid it all. We know that we already have the victory and we know all the glory belongs to you. And so, Father, we glorify your name. We thank you and we bless your name. And we say that in Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the Bible. Steve, read it with me, Steve, because you obviously have not read it before. And maybe you'll get some clarity, okay? Um, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. This is what it says. Remember what I told you. Do not insert yourself. This does not apply directly to you, but rather applies to ancient Israel in an ancient time. Verse 1. He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Hmm. An Ammonite, a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek peace, nor their prosperity, all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter into the assembly of God. When the army goes out against your enemies, then keep yourself from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not stay or come inside the camp. But it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water 
and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. Also, you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall have an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. Verse 15, you shall not give back to his master, the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the place which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him. You shall not oppress him. There shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or perverted one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. Hmm. To a foreigner, you may charge interest, but to your brother, you shall not charge interest. That the Lord your God may bless you in, in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay for it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vow to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Hmm. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your own with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanliness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband detests her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then the former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. When a man has taken a new wife, you shall go out to war or be charged with any. You shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. No man shall take the lower or the upper millstone in pledge for he takes one's living in pledge. If a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die. And you shall put away the evil from among you. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites shall teach you just as I commanded them. So you shall be careful to do. Remember 
what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. When you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to take to get his pledge. You shall stand outside and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return to the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who are in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it. Hmm. Fathers do not put to death. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall, shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert justice due to the do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. When you reap the harvest of your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Hmm. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes for your of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Hmm. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Deuteronomy 25. If there is a dispute between men and they come to court that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be. If the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows, 40 blows. He may give him and no more, lest any should exceed this and beat him with so many blows above these and your brother be humiliated in your sight. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. If a brother, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall be married to a stranger outside the family. Her, her, her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, 
Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. Hmm. Verse 11. If two men fight together, and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall not pity her. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and, and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously are an abomination to the Lord your God. Hmm. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 26. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is a priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take a basket out of your hand, set it before the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father is a Syrian, was a Syrian, about to perish, and he went out to Egypt, went sorry, went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he came, became a nation, great and mighty and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us out, brought us to this place and was given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Lord, has given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing that the Lord your God has given you and your house and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe, of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing. And I have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. 
Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it in mourning, nor have I removed any of it from unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that, the, that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> this day, the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments and that you will obey his voice. Also, today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be a special people just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all the nations that he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. I'm going to uh, stop right here. Let me just share a few short thoughts about this. Um, there's so much here. As you guys know, this is the read and rant. I spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture. And then I spend another uh, 20 to 30 minutes just reflecting on the scripture, reflecting on what God is really speaking into us. I, I don't intend this to be a Bible study. Okay. But I do understand the importance of Bible study, particularly in this part of the scripture. Um, I'm really tempted to really like institute a, maybe a monthly Bible study, maybe, you know, just do a long Bible study session with you guys so that you can understand so that you can understand what is actually being said or what is what you're actually reading in this text. Um, because a lot of what we're reading right now has been misappropriated, has been mistranslated, has been um, and some some of it is just deception. Other others is just misguided. It's just misguided. But I do find it important that eventually that I'm going to engage in that. that. I think it's going to be important that that I do a Bible study because I'm reading through this and I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's no way I can sit just through this section and explain um, every nuance and every detail of what's happening here. I'm going to leave you with some general thoughts. Um, but I do have a word of encouragement. Really, this is my time and my moment of um, um, of reflection in the scripture. Okay? Of reflection in the scripture. Yes, for example, the section on divorce. I want to point you to something. Good morning, Ellison. Good morning, Izzy. Glad you're here, guys. Uh, those are my two boys. Um, glad you're here. I hope you were reading along with me. I hope you didn't oversleep again, Ellison. Side note. Hope you didn't oversleep, bro. 
All right. That's on the podcast now. Um, I have a read and rant podcast as well. So if you guys are catching up, you're like, man, I want to catch up to all the scriptures that you've been reading. If you're looking to catch up on the scriptures, then uh, I would I would I would encourage you just to subscribe to the uh, the read and rant podcast. Okay, subscribe to it. Um, it'll be a blessing to you. And also the font. Uh, they were on time. Great. Um, the font everywhere. Um, where you can also catch this read and rant and the read and rants from before. Um, it, I usually post it right after this, this read and rant that we do here. So I want to encourage you to do that. But anyway, I want to, I want to go back and, um, awesome. I'm glad you're, you're listening in, Brennan. Uh, man, there's so much here. Remember what I said before we started reading and I emphasize this over and over again, that this is a law that was set to a people. Okay. This is a law that was delegated to a people set aside to a people. When we close Deuteronomy 26 and we just read those last few verses, he says this day, the Lord, your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. He's not talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to the children of Israel. Okay. You have to separate yourself from that because God is separating them from the rest of humanity. God is writing a story through ancient Israel to restore all mankind. He said today, look what he says to them in verse 17. He says today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments and that you will obey his voice. Oh my goodness. There's so much there. You have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. This is the second generation. The first generation received the law at Mount Sinai. That's what we read through in the book of Exodus. They read the law. They were given the law at Mount Sinai. They stayed on Mount Sinai for a reason, because if you remember in Genesis, uh, Genesis 33, if you remember in Genesis 33, they told God they would not leave this mountain. Remember they left, um, they left, uh, Egypt and they were headed to the land that was promised to them. But before they went to the land that was promised to them, they stopped at Mount Sinai and there the Lord reinstituted and reestablished the covenant, but a covenant with them saying that he would be their God and they would be his people that would represent God and be the image of God on earth to be what Adam could not be, to be the image of God on earth that now the presence of God would rest with them and walk with them and through them, the kingdom of God would come through them. The kingdom of God would be revealed to the rest of the world. So if I were to say this in simple terms, the, the, the children of Israel were called to be the people who would show what God is like. 
But the, the 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 book of Exodus ends with them still at the mountain and not going to the land that was promised to them. Why? Because at the end of Exodus, even though they had the law, they could not enter into the presence of God. The book of Exodus ends uh, ends, and the book of Leviticus opens with Moses not being able to enter into the presence of God. Why? Because of the sin of the people. Let me back up for a second. The covenant was the the contract. The word covenant literally means contract. The covenant was the contract that God was making with ancient Israel. Everybody understand that? It was a contract that God was making with ancient Israel. That's what we've been reading, okay? Um, I'm not giving you anything that we haven't read through, okay? And if there's anything that I'm saying that's not there, let me know because up to this point is what we've been reading. If you want to add to it, you could add to it. You can subtract from it. But I'm giving you what we've read, okay? Go back, check the reading rants. You'll catch that. But notice that there is a covenant and after the covenant, there is a law. The law was what was what God was the method or the mechanism by which God is shaping out the chosen people of God to be the nation of priests. Okay? That would usher in and bring the presence of God. They were called to be a holy people. People who were separate. The word holy literally means to be separate. Okay, that's what it means. It means to be separate. And so now these people were set aside to be a people who would be distinct and separate from everyone else. The Levites, the book of Leviticus is not really about the Levites, but about the purpose by which the Levites would minister. They would be the nation of priests. That's in that's 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 in Exodus. But the Levites among them would be priests who would mediate on behalf of the people because Exodus ends with the people not being able to enter into the presence of God. So they had the law, but the law did not allow them the presence of God. Let me make sure you let me back that up for a moment to make sure you're here. You hear this? The law was never good enough. Let me say that again. The law was never good enough. The law was never sufficient in the people entering into the presence of God. The the law was simply intended to reveal the holiness and the righteousness of God. But Leviticus now institutes the office of the priest, that is the Levite, who was set aside, who would mediate for the people on behalf of God. And so in Leviticus, what was amended to the law was the atonement that the priest now would 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 administer the sacrifice for every time the people would disobey the law. Because how how does a holy and righteous God allow an unholy, unrighteous, disobedient people to enter into his presence? He does that through the sacrifice. So the blood sacrifice, and that's what, and that's what Leviticus is all about. Leviticus is about how an unholy and unrighteous people can enter into a holy and righteous God. And so it's through the Levite who was the priest 
who stood as mediator, who administered the sacrifice to allow the people back access back into the presence of God. They did not leave until the law of the atonement was fully established and the office of the Levite was established because the law in and of itself wasn't good enough for them to get into the presence of God. It closed, Le Leviticus opens with the people not being able to enter into the presence, that is Moses the prophet, not being able to enter into the, the, the tabernacle, sorry, the, uh, the tabernacle of meeting. And now Leviticus ends with the sacrifice, because that's what Leviticus is all about, is explaining to them how God gives them access back in. This was God's backup plan, how to give them access back into the presence of God. And so Leviticus ends, okay, with them entering back into the presence of God. And now that they have that presence of God, Numbers is about them going on the road trip to the land that was promised to them, the land flowing with milk and honey. But on that road trip, they were disobedient. On that road trip, there was contention and strife among them. On that road trip, there was a lack of faith. And as a result of their faith and intransigence to trust in God, <laughs> they weren't given permission to enter into the land that was promised to them. And so that wasn't given to them anymore, but it was given to the next generation, which is why they spent 40 additional years in the wilderness. Deuteronomy. So they journey, they get to, to the river Jordan. Deuteronomy opens with Moses re-articulating the law to them. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means the law again. That's what it means. It means the law again. And he's given them this law, but now he's imparting this law on the next generation because the next generation, they were called to continue and to fulfill the promise that was given to the prior generation. And so what we've been reading all the way up to Deuteronomy 26 is Moses giving a sermonic revelation. He's, preaching to them. He's actually giving them a speech. That's what Deuteronomy is reiterating the law that was given to the generation before, because he wants to ensure that they have the law. And then he adds some things to the law and the things that Moses adds to the law are the matters of how they would rule and govern in the land that was given to them. And so he closes, and this is what we're reading here. These are the, the closing words to that generation as he, he's closing this part of his sermon. He says to them, this day, the Lord your God commands you. Notice, he's not talking to the Gentiles. He's not talking to any of us. He's talking to them, ancient Israel. This day, the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart, and with all your soul, do what your parents didn't do. Do what your grandparents didn't do. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. This is why you do it, because the Lord is your God and you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Notice he's saying 
You are the people that were set aside for this. He's not asking anyone else to do it. He's asking them to do it for the purpose of revealing what God is like to the earth, to establish his rule. He wants to, he wants them to image him. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be a special people, just as he had promised, and that he will set you high above all nations, which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Special and holy, same stuff. Special and holy, same stuff. He's saying special means distinct. Holy means distinct. And so he's using those things. By the way, thank you for the gifts. Wow, badges. Thank you so much for, for the gifts. Um, I appreciate it. And so he's setting them aside. He's pulling them aside. He's saying, I'm making you different. Did you hear that? I'm making you different so that the world can see what Jesus is like. This is where now I have to go real slow. <laughs> um, he's distinguishing them from the people of their time. Did you hear me? He's distinguishing ancient Israel from the people of their time. What God would do to distinguish them if they were the people today would be different than how God would distinguish them in this text. How do I know that? Because the law that he gave to the prior generation is actually not the same exact law as the current generation. I know this is going to get real uncomfortable here. <laughs> he gave them a law. They failed to fulfill it. He gave them the law of the atonement to give them access back to it. Notice what God is doing. He's ameliorating, ameliorating, amending, amending the law. Where the, y'all catching that? He's amending the law. He's amending. Leviticus is actually an amendment of the law because they failed. Deuteronomy has amendments in it as well. <laughs> He's adding things because what the prior generation dealt with is not what this generation is going to deal with. This is why you can't read this law and simply believe that you are obeying God's command simply by following this law because you missed the heart of God in following the law. The law was insufficient and ineffective in doing so. What was the purpose of the law was to make them a distinct people to bring the righteousness and the justice of God and to establish the kingdom of God on earth. That's it. God's plan was for the earth. <laughs> That's God's plan. I'm going to say something. I'm, th I'm just throwing it out there. We're going to eventually get to it. But have you seen anything yet about heaven and hell here? Ooh, this is where it gets, it gets uncomfortable. Has anybody, 
Has anybody seen anything yet? I just want we've been reading now. We've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Do you see anything about heaven and hell? Yet. No. If anything, you see God is very, very, very intentional about what's going on on earth. He's very, very intentional about what's happening here. And notice, even the law itself was not a mechanism to determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Oh, pastor's into this, you know, he's in, oh, he's into that kind of theology. No, I'm into what the Bible says. I don't follow the doctrines of man. I don't superimpose our ide ideologies and our cultural philosophies on the text. I simply read what the scripture is telling me. Nowhere does it say, not here at least, from what we've read up to this point. Meaning, why am I saying this? I'm only pointing this out for you and I hope this will help somebody, is the law wasn't the mechanism by which you go to heaven or to go to hell. That isn't the purpose of the law. But the law was about how you live and how you establish the rule of God on earth. Man, oh man, it's going to get comfortable, uncomfortable for a lot of people because there's some people right now who have been taught for a large portion of their lives. If you if you disobey these laws, you will be punished to hell because disobeying this law is sin. And if you're a sinner, you can't go to heaven. Or if you break these laws, you need to ask God for forgiveness and stop breaking these laws to go to heaven. Notice the laws were, weren't intended for heaven or hell. Did you, did you, did you hear that? I want to make sure you understand that. As a matter of fact, if we think of it the way, I know there's a guy here, I see some guy here who said that he was Jewish. And so, you know, he's saying everything I'm saying is lies, but that's cool. That's fine. I'm willing to put it out. He's saying I'm a liar. That's fine. Um, or that I'm wrong. No, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. But the way the Hebrews saw sin is not how we see sin. The Hebrews, sin was not the breaking of a law or a commandment. It was not simply that. Sin was the falling short of the fulfillment of the law. The law wasn't seen as simply as we Westerners like to think of it as a set of rules that you follow. The law was seen as a way of life that if any of it is broken, then it falls short of the glory of God. That's why Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because the word sin does not mean breaking the law. That's our westernization on the text. That's our trying to put our way of thinking on the text. The way the Hebrews saw sin was sin was simply the falling short. Meaning, even if you did the law, if you fell short doing it, it's still sin. It's literally saying, this is God's standard. This is the holiness of God. The holiness by which we ought to be and we ought to represent, this is where we are. Actually, we're somewhere down here, somewhere way down here, somewhere way down there. And so if God is here and we're here, that's sin. Did you hear that? 
if God is here in holiness, I'm just giving you a, a reference. There's no way to measure the holiness of God. He's, he's so unlike anything else that you can't really measure the holiness of God. But if we did, and if we could, and let's say God was here, if any human being is here, that's sin. And if any human being is here, that's sin. Because sin just literally means to fall short, to not live up to the standard. It's literally saying you didn't meet the standard. And yet that is how they saw sin. So if if these things that weren't, weren't fulfilled, then it was a falling short. That is what sin is. See, we make committing sin simply a breaking of the law. No. I don't have time. Are y'all with me? I don't have time. I, I feel like I'm ranting now, but I, I have to make sure you understand this, that the break, while the breaking of the law can be sin, you can do something that isn't breaking the law and it's still sin. Sin is actually not an action. Sin is a state of being. David said, it was in sin that my mother conceived me. We're born with that state of being. We are born fallen short. Sin is not just an action. If sin was an action, then how can Christ become sin? Paul says in Colossians that he became sin. How, how can Jesus become sin if Jesus didn't sin? Can anybody agree like Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't break any laws or did he? <laughs> did Jesus not break Sabbath laws? Did Jesus not, didn't they come against Jesus about the food laws and how he didn't ceremonially clean his hands before he ate? Did he, did he not break those, those laws? See, see, we think of the law as a bunch of rules, <laughs> a bunch of man-made rules. <laughs> I hope I'm helping somebody here. So then how can Jesus become sin if Jesus is perfect? Because we've made sin and that's why we have, we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time with that because how can Jesus become sin? Has anybody read? I know you guys have read the verse and I see all kinds of weird theologies around it. You know, he took on the nature of man and we get all convoluted with it and everything. I'm simply saying this, let's not overcomplicate it. Sin is not simply the breaking of a rule. In the Bible, sin is literally to fall short of the glory of God. When, when Jesus humbles himself and made himself of no reputation, that was the humility that in him taking on humanity and human nature, Jesus became sin. Maybe I, do, I, maybe I need to do a Bible study on sin as well. But pastor, he didn't sin. He absolutely did not sin. Jesus did not sin, but Jesus became sin. How can you become sin and not sin? Because becoming sin is not just an action. It's a state of being. We were born into this state of being. Therefore, notice here that it wasn't about following rules. 
What, why am I saying all this? I'm simply saying this. The moment that Christians begin to look at this Bible and they look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they start reading it, and they start going, man, look at all these rules that I have to follow. You're reading it wrong. And if you read it as a bunch of rules that you ought to follow, then you should definitely get confused. I know we're not doing a Bible study because I can, I can, there's some parts we read here where we go, wait, hold on. So, wait, so it's okay to eat unclean meat, but then it's okay, it's not okay to eat unclean meat. When is it okay? When is it not, not okay? It's okay. What, 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 what am I saying here? I'm saying we read, when we read the law as a bunch of rules that we ought to follow, we miss the heart of God. Instead, back up, okay, back up and see what God is actually saying in this story because it wasn't for you to follow, but for God to reveal his heart, his will, and his relationship with man. If there's anything that I get from this, Notice he says, you are special people and that he set you high above the nations. He's literally calling them to live by a standard that the rest of the world does not live. He's calling them to be distinct, calling them to be separate. And now he's adding things. They have things that the generation before did not. There are things here that they had before they did not. Oh my goodness. When does it stop? Family, when does it stop? Like, when does the law stop? Are y'all catching it? Wait a minute. The law was good up to this point for them, but now this new generation, there's more stuff. As we read, there's more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. God, what are we actually supposed to be doing? Jesus tells you exactly what you're supposed to do. We just choose to follow the law. We choose to follow the rules. And we choose to fix ourselves. Tomorrow we're going to be reading about um, how the law was inscribed on stones. And yet, didn't Jesus say that I'm putting, that you are the written epistle? That, that you now have a truth that is not written on stone, but is written on the flesh of your heart? Is it not, is it not Paul who said that? Oh no, but we want to, we want to follow the stuff that's written on stone. When we read this, we're missing the heart of God. And that's what I want to, that's all I want to convict you of, because this is what I hear. I see people saw that you see the laws concerning divorce. Um, um, let me just talk about that just really quickly for a second. When a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens to find no favor. Remember, if you missed the reading rant yesterday, it might be helpful to you as well. Because I kind of went on a rant about this as well, especially speaking about how how justice was established for women who experience, you know, abuse or, or sexual um, assault or any form of assault. And so we, we, we can see there. And once you see it in the context, the problem is, is we're reading this within our own context. So we're juxtaposing this to our experience when what we should be doing is we should be juxtaposing it to their experience and the other nations that relate to them and to their culture, what they were around, 
what was normal then. We're reading this, not realizing how fundamentally cutting edge this way of thinking was. Like this was nothing like anyone has ever seen. You know what's crazy to me? What's crazy to me is how we read the Bible and it is because we read the Bible like it's a set of rules. If we read the scripture as a divine narrative, a God story, if we read the Bible like it was a story of God rather than a set of rules, we would be able to now more appropriately wrestle with some of the difficult parts of the scripture. If we actually read it as the story of God and his people and how now we've become a part of that story, it would fundamentally change our lives. Not as a set of rules. I had to say that one, one more time because there are things that you see in other stories. And I've said this and I'll say this again. There's things you've seen in other stories, which you don't have an issue with. You want to know why? Because you see it as a story and not a set of laws. You watch TV shows, you watch, um, you read books that have plenty of things in them that you do not agree with. And yet you still appreciate them. And the reason why you appreciate them is because it's a story. It's not a rule. Did you catch that? So we see the law concerning divorce and we go, what are ready? Here's what, here's what, here's what, you know, nominal Christians do. A lot of us, I've, I fell into this by the way. So I'm not, I'm not knocking anyone who's done this because I did this for at least the first five, 10 years, five to 10 years of my, my life in Christ. Okay. I would read and I go, man, how do we do that? Here, let's look at this law concerning divorce. When a man marries a wife and a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it. Here's my process as I'm reading this. I'm going, man. So now if I find a wife and I marry her, what God is saying for me to do is, is I need to find favor. If I don't find favor, if I don't find favor in her, then, and I find uncleanliness in her, then, then I can write a certificate. You see what I'm doing? This is what a lot of us do. It is the realest story. It's the only story. It's the greatest story. And it's the truest story. <laughs> and so if I read it like that, I start inserting myself in it and seeing what I ought to do, not backing away from it and going, this is what God told ancient Israel to do. Now, when I read it that way, I'm not looking at it as, so what should I do and not do if I want to have a divorce? Actually, this text tells me nothing about what I should. Ooh, that's going to be real tough for a lot of you. It tells me almost nothing about what I should or shouldn't do if I want to get a divorce. Did you hear me? Say this again. Through the Mosaic law, there's nothing in here that tells me what I should or shouldn't do about whether or not I want to have a divorce. It says nothing about that, but 
But pastor, this is the law concerning divorce. Yes, the law for them concerning divorce. The law is written on your heart. This has nothing to do with you. But then why is it there? Oh my gosh. Pastor, why is it there then? Why would it be in the Bible? Why would it be in the Bible? Huh? That's the question, right? Well, Jesus tells you why it's there. <laughs> Jesus tells you why it's there. Jesus tells you specifically. He says that all the scripture was meant to testify of him. All right. I'm doing something way out of character here. I'm going to do something way out of character because I know I have to close, but I, but I, I want, I want to, to make sure, because uh, this is, I know this is making a lot of you uncomfortable and that's okay. That's okay. It's making a lot of you uncomfortable, but I'm here to unpack. I'm here to deconstruct so we can build something to really understand the power of the gospel. Ready? Let's go to John five. I know I'm going way out of character. I'm going to another part of the Bible, but I want to make sure we hear this. Okay. Let me go to John five. Let me go to John five. Let me go to John five. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And let's look at verse 39. These words are written in red. I just have to say that. And then we're going to go back because I want to remind you of something. Okay. Um, these words are written in red. That just, that means simply Jesus said these words, you know, the son of God, the word that became flesh, God in the flesh. Okay. Um, the one who we acknowledge as God, who, who died on the cross and redeemed all humankind by the sacrifice and the shedding of his blood. And we believe that he resurrected and that he ascended into heaven. And now he sits on the right hand of the father, executing his judgment. And we await for him to return, to establish his kingdom and to make all things new on earth, that he would establish the, the heavens and the earth, a new heaven and a new earth. That Jesus, this is what he says. Look at verse 39. He says this, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. Did you hear that? You search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. How many Christians think that? <laughs> How many Christians think that it's in the scriptures that they have eternal life? If I follow the scriptures and I do what the scriptures say, then I will have eternal life. Jesus legit going, you think, this is what you think. You think that you search the scriptures for in them, you have eternal life. Look at what the next part says. And these are they which testify of me. So what's the purpose then of the law on divorce? <laughs> it's to testify of Christ. Ooh. It's not a, so what's the purpose of the law? Is to point to Christ. Here's the thing is we don't ask the right questions when we read the law. We read the law 
I'm sorry. I know this is all, I'm all over the place. I didn't have anything planned. Guys, you know, I'm all discombobulated because I don't come with anything planned. I simply come just just ranting. That's why I call it the read and rant. We read for 20 minutes. I rant for however amount of time that I have because I'm just having a conversation. I don't have anything structured. I don't have any notes. I don't have anything. So if it sounds all over the place, hopefully you go back and maybe this, you know, you'll go back and say, I don't know what he was talking about. Or maybe you go, hey, this is, was helpful. I'm just going to share where the Lord is leading me to because it is important for us to understand this. It's important for every believer to understand this, that we read it. We go, man, this section on divorce is real hard for me to reconcile with. It wasn't the law. This section of divorce is not telling you how you administrate divorce. What it does is it reveals the heart of God and that it testifies to Christ. We ask the wrong questions when we read Deuteronomy. We ask, so what do I do and not do? Instead, what we should be asking is, how does this testify of Christ? How does this point to Jesus? When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand. I'm going to show you how you do it, okay? I'm just going to use an example. I'm just here to help you. I'm here to help you. Puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. When he has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends it out of his house, or if the latter husband dies and he took her as his wife, then the former husband who has divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. You know, this was not about what we think it's about. This is about Christ. Did you hear that? It's really about Christ. God is writing his story through these people. <sighs> Please. I, I, when a man takes his wife and marries her, and it happens she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. How many of us are that person? We are that wife. Every one of us are that wife. Isn't it funny how the image of the church is between a bridegroom and a bride? The husband being Christ and the bride being the church, the church being the chosen people of God who have been chosen by faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, how many of us fell into an instance when there was uncleanness in us? And yet because of the uncleanness in us, there was a certificate of divorce that separated us. But is, aren't we grateful that we had a husband who came and took us back? You know, when you read through the book of Song of Songs, when you read through the book of the Song of Songs, what, you, what do you see? You see the image of a woman who says, I'm dark and lovely, rejected, and yet... She's awaiting for her groom to come. Yes, this was about Solomon and a, and a real woman, but this was about God writing his story through these people. We miss it because we're so busy trying to follow the rules that we're not looking for Jesus in the text. 
You're supposed to be looking for Jesus, not looking at what rules to follow. You're supposed to be looking for Christ and not what rules to follow. You're supposed to be looking and seeing that there was a time when my former husband was the world and the world rejected me. But the latter husband died to take me as his wife. I lost one and gained another. These are the things that we should be seeing when we read the text, but we're still looking for a book of rules. But Jesus tells us very clearly in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, did you miss it? All the scripture testifies of me. He's saying the scripture points to me. All scripture is testifying about me. All of it. I know I said a lot. But if there's anything, if there's anything that I I hope you would begin to see, because I I saw someone just text, I, I'm crying right now. There was a time, family, it's going to be real and honest with you. There was a time when I used to do Bible study. This is when I was maybe like maybe almost 10 years ago now. Wow, it's crazy. Um, I've been... When I first came to Jesus, I just had a passion. I started reading the Bible with people and I just started. And I remember journeying through Leviticus with people. And I used to kept, keep telling people, I hate this book. I can't stand this book. I hate it. I hate the book of rules. I used to hate Deuteronomy. Hate it. I used to hate it. I'm going to be just gonna be real with you. I used to hate it. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. I was like, I don't even know why we read this stuff. It's so. And I remember when the Holy Spirit slayed me with this truth. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And I remember opening the book and I just began to weep like a little baby. I began to weep and I began to cry. So I feel where you at. I feel exactly where you at, where you are, because I began to weep and weep and weep and weep because I, I had to apologize to God this whole time. I've been making this about me and yet I've been missing out on the story of what Jesus has done in my life. I'm missing out on everything that God has done. And I began to weep and weep and weep and weep. I read through all of this book, trying to figure out what I need to do to please God. And yet Jesus is saying, this was meant to point to me. All of this was meant to point to me and testify of me. And it set me free. It set me free. And I and I, I pray that it sets you free. That it, it sets you. I mean, it's so liberating when now you start looking and you start seeing, I see how Jesus is in this. Oh my goodness. When the man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, charge any business. I start seeing Jesus. I start seeing Jesus in all of it. Oh my goodness, this is all about Jesus. This all points to Jesus. I've been reading this wrong. Why did, it's my final rant. I know I'm ranting, I know I'm all over the place and I'm sorry, but why did God set these people aside and chose them? 
He chose them so that they can be the seed. He chose them so that the law that he's placing on them is writing the story of what Jesus is doing for all of humanity. All this stuff is weird. Why? Why would why would he why would he ask him to do all this weird stuff? And yet all of it is to write a story that we can then look back to and say, I see now how God was testifying to Jesus through these people. We can break down every part of this. We can break down every element of this. We can break down, you know, a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats or sells them. Then that kidnapper shall die and he shall be put away from evil from among you. Jesus is in that. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe. And according to all the priests, the Levites shall teach you just as I commanded you. Jesus is in that. We can break down every one of these and begin to see Jesus is in that. Jesus is in all of this. This was all meant to point to Jesus, the marriage duty of a surviving brother. Why? Why would why would they have this law? Why would they why would ancient Israel be subject to this law? Why would they have to live this way? They're living this way because their story is intended to point to Jesus. God set these people aside to be a peculiar people to write the story of Jesus. So now when when your husband, when one dies and the other one takes over, that one must perpetuate and continue it. There are social implications to that, but there are spiritual implications to that. He's called these people to be set aside. The law of how you should have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord God is giving you. He's talking about economic justice, and yet he's speaking into Jesus. Jesus is in all of that. I say this to say to you that even the first fruit in the ties, is Jesus not the first fruit of humanity? Is he not the firstborn of all creation who was given for our redemption and our salvation? Look at that. Jesus, again, Jesus is telling you that all the scripture was meant and intended to testify of him. Sorry if I break the rules for a moment, but we're getting to the close of this Pentateuch. We're getting to the close of the law, and I've been leading you up to this point, and I've been helping you see that this this text was never about rules. It was never about rules that Christians follow, but actually it was about a revelation of Jesus Christ pointing to Jesus. And I know we're in attention because we haven't seen it yet, but we're going to see all this stuff fulfilled. That's why he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. Goodness gracious. But he said, I came to fulfill the law. Jesus said those words. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. He's not saying, you know, um, don't follow the rules. And I didn't come to remove the rules that you ought to follow. The law was necessary to reveal me because now I'm the fulfillment of all the things that God called the chosen people of God to follow. God is writing the story of redemption through his chosen people. What if I told you he's writing the story of redemption through you?
I'm going to go to one more verse. I'm sorry, guys. I'm over time. I keep apologizing. But at this point, you actually don't have to stay. So if you're here, it's because you want to be here. <laughs> I don't know why I keep apologizing, but I feel like I have, I have to keep apologizing. Um, you guys familiar with the story of Hosea? Um, I find that story peculiar because um, Hosea is a prophet. And Hosea is called... To go and get his wife out of a whorehouse. This man had every reason to divorce his wife. He had every reason to divorce his wife. Imagine finding out that your wife is sleeping around, finding out that your wife is is, you know, selling herself. Gomer. Imagine that. Imagine that. Everybody would follow. If you followed the rules, the rules tell you divorce her. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly okay because that's what the rules say. But the Bible wasn't about the rules. The Bible was about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible was about something so much bigger. What if I told you your life is about something so much bigger? Now watch this. Hosea, who's a prophet, man of God wants to leave his wife and he has all the reason and all the law to support him leaving his wife and God says go back to her and go get her love her and marry her and Hosea is going why let me hold on let me find this in Hosea uh, chapter 3 in Hosea chapter 3 he says, then the Lord, we're going to read this eventually when we get to it, but I'm just going to get there anyway. Then the Lord said to me, watch what Hosea says. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. His wife is committing adultery. And he says to her, go back to her. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. God is telling Hosea, go and love the woman who committed adultery because I need the world to see that I love my people in the same way. That even though they commit adultery every day to me, I still go back and I purchase them. He says in verse two, so I brought her, so I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and for one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. We'll come back to that. We're going to read that another day. But understand, this is, was never about Hosea. This was about God and his story and about what he's doing and about how he told him, go back and go find that woman who was committing adultery and marry her and love her and go and buy her back, even though she committed adultery. Why? Because I need to, I need the children of Israel to know that they've been adulterous towards me. And yet I went back to purchase them. This is what God wants to reveal to us is through Homer's life through Homer's broken marriage 
God wanted to speak to us because he called them and set them aside to write a bigger story. In the end, I see Jesus here because he bought her for 15 shekels of silver. How many times did I commit adultery against God? And yet God bought me back with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He bought me back with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. All scripture testifies of me. All scripture testifies of me. I read Deuteronomy and rather than looking at the rules, I need to find Jesus and in finding Jesus, that's when I find transformation because it was never about the rules. It was about being transformed by Jesus Christ and having the heart of God. I'm gonna call this episode true story because it's a true story. No story truer, truer, no story realer. And yet it's the story that transforms us, not the rules in the story that do. Father, I ask you right now, Lord, to speak into the heart of each and every person here. Lord, I even sense, Lord, there are chains being broken right now. There are people who are being renewed in mind and being renewed in heart, who are now seeing you in the text and seeing your heart in the text. And Father, I thank you for revealing to us, Lord, that you chose a people to write the story of all humanity. You chose a people to reveal your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you gave us the privilege, Lord, to be able to see that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the revelation that can only come by your spirit alone. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory. But I pray that you bless anyone who's here right now, Lord, who is finding a new level and a new stage of faith, Lord. Bless them, O oh Lord. Bless them in this time, Lord. Engage them in your word and in your heart that they may see you and know you. For you have said in your word, salvation is knowing God. Let them find you once more and let them encounter you. Father, I thank you right now that you are embracing some people, even in this moment, Lord, overwhelming them with your grace to let them know, Lord, that you love them very, very, very much. So, Father, I thank you for that. And I say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I just put on the badges on IG, and I see people already gave me gifts on it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I can't wait to continue the journey through this with you. Um, I hope this is changing your whole picture of the law. That's what I hope. I hope we leave reading the Pentateuch and you go in. I see the Pentateuch in a whole different light. I love you guys. God bless you. See you tomorrow. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 27. God bless you guys.